The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. It is that time again. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Dan Scott Show, our 13th week of this brand-new venture presented, as you just heard, by Grand Slam Ministries. I am Dan Scott. Uh, Incredibly excited, honored, and humbled to have you with us on uh, each and every one of our nine affiliates. No matter where you are listening, we greatly appreciate it and just ask that you can, A, continue to do so, and B, Share this radio show, share the website, all of the social media stuff, which you will hear as we go on through the course of this hour and help us continue to grow what we are trying to do here. Specifically, three things. Number one with the radio show, telling stories of God working in the lives of men and women today all over the world in every spectrum of society, stories that you're not hearing in the mainstream media. And then, of course, our two core missions for Grand Slam Ministries, mentorship and helping children, and more details about those coming up as well. As you know, I am the eternal optimist. I believe that we've got a good show for you every week, and this one is a powerful one, and it goes right alongside one of our core missions, mentorship. John Finch was just an everyday salesman until he decided to write a book and make a movie called The Father Effect. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why when we come back from the break here in just a moment. But this movie has made an impact across this country by simply being released for free on YouTube. And it has been seen millions of times. It has impacted lives. And it talks about the impact, as you might imagine from the title, a father has on a family unit, and more importantly, the lack of a father and what that means. We have shared statistics with you before on this show when it gets to our core mission of mentorship. According to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2020, a home without a father or a positive male role model A child who grows up in that home is four times at greater risk for poverty, seven times more likely to become a pregnant teen, two times more likely to drop out of high school, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to commit a crime, and more likely to go to prison. And as I have said, along with that, when I share my testimony, this is from the same U.S. government that is doing everything it can to tell us that the role of the traditional family in this country is no longer important. And and they are at odds with themselves, as those numbers clearly point out. John Finch's personal story and why he decided to write the book and do the movie, The Father Effect, is one that is going to inspire you. And I'll set that up again when we come back from this quick break. I do want you to hear something about Grand Slam Ministries, and then we'll get back to our extended interview with author and first-time filmmaker, John Finch on the other side. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present 
is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. This is episode 13 of The Dan Scott Show. Good to have you with us as we continue April the 2nd of 2023, one week shy of Easter Sunday. And I can't think of any better topic to be discussing the week before Easter than the role that a father has in the lives of his children, in the lives of his wife, in his family in total, because we know the role our Heavenly Father plays in our lives it is supposed to mean everything to us and the role that a man has biblically in the lives of his wife and his children and his grandchildren is pretty clearly laid out and we have talked about this before and john finch and i are going to talk about it in this interview that we're getting ready to drop on you but john finch is the author of the book the father effect and also produced a movie by the same name, which has uh, literally gone viral. He released it for free on YouTube, and the thing has just exploded. And we began our conversation by talking about just that, how well this movie has been received. It has. You know, we've been very blessed. God's just uh, been so good. And, you know, we've, to take a story like mine, and, and I'm, you know, just a knucklehead doing the best he can to to be a better dad every day. But to, to be able to share my story has been such a huge blessing. And we continue to get emails uh, about the book and the movie almost on a weekly basis as to what all, how God's using it and what all he's doing through the movie. So it's been very well received, and we, uh, we continue to show it on EWTN, which is the Global Catholic TV Network. Uh, we've got kind of a non-financial agreement with them. And so every time they show it, they show it about two or three times a year. And every time they do, God just kind of does his thing. Did you ever imagine when when the idea came and, and you realized this is something you were supposed to do, did you ever imagine the effect that the father effect would have? You know, I didn't. Uh, again, for me, it was just when I first started out, once God did his transformation in me and I found forgiveness for my father, which was the catalyst to all of this and how it radically changed my life. I just started sharing my story with others and everybody I talked to had a story. And so, um, I just thought, man, 
we've got to get some of these stories on video and start sharing this message of forgiveness. And so, uh, yeah, it's been amazing. It has been unbelievable what all God does, has done and continues to do through the movie and the book. Well, before we get to the circumstances when you were 11 years old that that started you on this journey just fill people in what's your background uh, are you a, are you a movie maker have you ever been a movie maker before tell tell our listeners who john finch is professionally prior to this you know i'm just kind of a dumb sales guy <laughs> <laughs> and so i was in sales uh in corporate sales for many many years and uh, when all this kind of started to get to come to fruition and God started this, you know, transformation in my life, I remember just driving and, and him impress, impressing upon me, like, you've got to make a movie. And I was like, whoa, hold on a second. You know, that's just what I kept hearing in my spirit, not audibly, but that's just what it kept coming to me. And I remember walking in my wife's office and I got home one day and I said, honey, I think – God's telling me we got to make a movie. And she's like, okay, (laughs) you know, you're not, you don't know anything about making movies and whatever. So I'm like, yeah. And so I I went and talked to several people and they said, look, audio and lighting, right? If you can get the audio and lighting right and, and, and get a decent camera, you know, you'll be good to go. So sure enough, I, um, I just put it on social media. This is what I'm doing. This is what, you know, God's calling me to do. And I want to share some stories of people forgiving their dads, but hear the stories themselves and how you came to that point. And so I messed up and ruined a lot of footage early on <laughs> because either my audio was all messy or, you know, something audio wasn't plugged in or there was always something right in doing any and all this stuff. So um, that in itself is a whole nother story. You know, there'd be times I'd be interviewing somebody and some guy would come up next to the building with a mower, <laughs> you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so I just, I just set out and I started interviewing people and we were very, very fortunate. Um, I, I was after John Eldridge, uh, who the author of wild at heart, I was after him for about a year and he, he finally responded and said, yeah, I'm in. And so we went up and spent some time with him. We got to interview just some amazing people, pastors, authors, just ordinary people that had extraordinary stories. And, and some of those ordinary people, they're some of the more powerful stories in the movie. And that's usually the way it works because it's the people who are living everyday lives in the trenches that are trying to do the best they can and overcome mistakes. And those are the people that God seems to use i mean you look in in the bible at so many different men and women that god used for different things who were not quote unquote qualified to do the job gideon said hey man i'm just a farmer moses said i can't even speak well and you want me to go do this Uh, rahab was a prostitute i mean on down the line god uses all these different people but there's the old saying john and and i think you have found this out god doesn't call the equipped he equips the cold. Amen. You know, what's interesting in my journey is I started to read. I couldn't get enough of the word. I grew up in church, knew how to play the game, had played the game quite well as a as a pretender and poser. So I knew exactly what to say to people to make them think that I was a certain way, you know, when I really wasn't. But 
I read a book called 12 Ordinary Men. And I think it was John MacArthur who wrote it. And he just talks about the 12 disciples and just how really jacked up they were. <laughs> you know, how all of us have our own stuff and, and just the willingness, just like the disciples, to be willing to be obedient and faithful to what it is he's called you to do. Uh, you know, that's it's as simple as that. And so uh, it was crazy to think, wow, you know, these disciples had some of their own stuff of their, their junk and this generational stuff that they were carrying themselves. And, and, and yet God used them in a way that was obviously changed the world. Yeah, we look at them oftentimes through the lens of, of the saints that they became. And if you are careful as you're reading the Gospels, and and the story of Jesus during his earthly ministry, these guys were knuckleheads, man. They 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 just simply did not get it, and I think that's what makes the story even greater because God used ordinary, flawed people to become the people who would establish His church after Jesus's ascension back to heaven. Absolutely, absolutely. Visiting with John Finch, the uh, author and producer of the uh, the book and the movie. The Father Effect, uh, it, which has had just a, a tremendous impact uh, on the lives of so many people. All right, so let, let's let's go back before we get to that day. Tell me about your childhood, uh, where you grew up. You, you mentioned that that you went to church. You knew how to play the game. What was John Finch's childhood like for the first eleven years? You know, I had a great childhood. I really did. I had uh, have an incredible mom. She's about five foot, a hundred pounds. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know it by looking at me <laughs> that I'm her son. I'm six foot two fifty, um, but she's just an angel on this earth. And and it really, you know, a lot of what she did from a single mother's perspective is what kept me and my brothers on the right track. And and really coming back to God and the the things that she instilled in us uh, in an early age, you know. And so I, I just knew she always loved me. There was nothing I could do to make her love me any more or any less. And so, you know, the days up till I was 11 years old with my father, I have faint memories. Uh, one of the biggest struggles I had when I was in counseling as I started this journey was was trying to have remember times I spent with my father. And I didn't have any that I could remember. I'm sure there were, but you know, I, I when I when he passed away, I was 11. My brothers were a little older, so they had more memories than me. But I just could not find any memories of just me and him, and that was painful for me uh, as a grown man. And so, you know, I I couldn't even say the word dad without just weeping because of what that represented in my life. This wound of betrayal and abandonment. So. My life up to that point really was was pretty normal. Everybody else around me, most of we lived in Section Eight housing, and so most everybody else around me didn't have a dad either. And I just kind of thought it was normal, <laughs> you know. It was just one of those things where uh, dads are not around very much, and most of them were being raised by a single mom. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you you uh, only know what you know, right? That's it. Yeah, that was that was exactly it. So I had a great childhood growing up. I knew. I didn't realize we didn't have much until I probably got into junior high and high school, um, but didn't know any different in elementary, you know, because, again, I was going to a school where most all the other kids were living in Section 8 housing or didn't have a lot of money either. 
If anybody has seen the movie, the the scene that you you tell the story uh, of you riding in the in the car with your dad on on that day, and how all of that plays out, um, none of this happens if you're not willing to be vulnerable and not willing to share the most painful day in your life. So I'm just going to sit back and be quiet for a minute and let you take our listeners through the day that changed your life forever. Yeah. You know, the, I was 11 years old and, um, my dad was interesting because he was rarely home. Uh, he would kind of disappear at times and he was always gone seemed like, and, um, that day he, he, I thought it was, wow, he's taking me to school, which was very unusual. Didn't think that much of it. So, uh, I go to get out of the car and he goes, Hey buddy, uh, I think you owe me a kiss. And so I leaned back in the car, gave him a kiss. I was in uh, fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, I think. And then I get out and go to school. Well, later on that afternoon, probably, I think it was sometime after lunch, the principal and the pastor, my pastor from my church comes walking in the classroom. We were having a movie day or something because i remember i was sitting on top of my desk and um it was real unusual because i i rarely ever went to the principal's office i don't know that i'd ever had i was a pretty good kid and so they called me and we go down to the principal's office and just for like a brief second pastor says hey we need to go to your house and he didn't say anything else and so i was like pretty freaked out obviously well we get to my my the apartment complex and I could see my mom out on the patio and she was pretty distraught and there were some people around her trying to comfort her. And I knew then that something pretty, you know, bad had happened. And so come to find out my dad that day had killed himself. And in the movie, we show the story. Um, we had had a lot of financial issues because of my dad's gambling addiction and just some, some stuff that he had been struggling with and had struggled with for most of his life. And so he had borrowed a car. Uh, we were we were using a, a family friend's car because we didn't have enough money to have our own. And so that day he goes, and in the movie you'll see he's putting blankets all over the car because when he goes to kill himself, he didn't want to get his you know uh, stuff all over the car. So um, it was a it was a pretty you know. Uh, crazy day to say the least. I don't remember a whole lot other than it was just overcast and cloudy. And it was like this, I don't know, it was this foreshadowing, I guess, to, okay, now I've got to figure out a way to live a life without my father and him being a part of my life. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of set a lot of things into motion. And fortunately we had a church that was just a, such a great church and they rallied around us and did a fundraiser and, raise some money for us to be able to to continue on and, and do some things financially. And so we were very, very blessed with such a great church family to, to come rally around us and help us out. John, what year did this happen? This was 1979, April 10th, 1979. So we're talking about an era, not that it's a whole lot different now, but we're talking about an era where men, when they were struggling with something, did not ask for help. Oh no, no, that in in my dad's generation and his his dad's generation, you just didn't. They came back from war, you know, head down. Let's go to work. Let's make some money, provide for the family, and and that's you know that's something that's a generational thing that's been carried on for for many many years. Not realizing the dad's not realizing that 
you know, they have to also be engaged emotionally mm-hmm. uh, and physically at home. But but so much of that has been passed down and guys get caught up in this idea and this concept that their only responsibility is to provide financially with, and that's through working. So when did your grief as an 11-year-old turn into this anger that you carried with you for years and years? Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know if I can pinpoint it shortly after that. I know as I got into high school, I'm going to say probably by the time I was 15, 16, I started drinking uh, because, you know, now I know obviously that I had a major father wound, again, of a betrayal and abandonment. So I was trying to medicate this wound so I didn't really have to feel it, right? And I had bought into everything that the world says you need to be as a man. It's all about success, money, power, all of these things, all the lies that the world tells us. And so that was my reaction. And you'd have never known I was angry. I think if you talk to people that knew me, uh, and since the movie and book came out, I've had a lot of people reach out. I was like, man, I had no idea that you knew that and you were suffering from all this anger. But but yeah, I was angry. Uh, the more I drank, the the less angry I got because it just took me away. You know, helped me escape, and so I was a lot easier, I think, to be around in many cases. But of course, you know, most people didn't know I had started drinking at 16, 17 years old, and then it was a problem that became an issue for most of my adult life. You, you say in, in in the book, you say in in the movie and and interviews I've seen that not only were you angry angry with your dad, and, and even called him a coward, but you were angry with God. I was. Yeah, I was, you know, in my mind, uh, God had allowed this to happen and I was really ticked, you know, at, at again, dad, my dad and God. And so as I really started working through this, here's what it all came down to, um, understanding and realize, realizing that my dad's story, his story was this incredible story. I mean, I think he was lucky to make it to 42. He did, right? He had some mental health issues, and there was a lot of things, again, that guys in that era just never admitted, uh, just didn't go to counseling, you know, didn't do any of the, the stuff that hopefully a lot of us are doing now. And so for me, it was realizing the simple thing, and it was that my dad could not give what he did not have. So... As I started this journey, I started having these long conversations with my mom, and she starts telling me all these things. And I came to realize that my dad was a pretty jacked up, flawed, and wounded guy, just like me. In, in a sense, in, in, a, in a strange sense, we were almost brothers because of our lives and the things that we had experienced. And so him having a much more difficult life than me. But you know, the more I heard his story – the more God started to soften my heart and give me compassion for my father, which ultimately led to forgiveness. But my dad, you know, had five different dads. His mom was married five different times, no stable father, figure, no really good role model. Uh, he was dropped off in the middle of new Orleans when he was 16 years old to live on his own as his, his mom took off with the, her latest husband, who was a truck driver. And so he was just a man that, that, that learned to survive on the streets. And the more I learned these stories, 
the more God was opening my own eyes to, to some of my own stuff and, and how I needed to forgive them. Yeah, and, and that, that can work one of two ways. You've got to be sensitive to, to God's calling there because you can either go towards God or you can find yourself heading down the same path as your father. Yeah, and I, I did. I mean, for 30 years, I was an angry dude, a very angry dude. And that, again, coping and medicating through alcohol helped me a little bit, but ultimately that wasn't the— that wasn't the the real healing, you know. John Eldridge in the movie does this great piece about, you know, you can continue to medicate, you can continue to to put a bandaid on it, if you will, but until you find the root of why you're medicating, and you you heal that, you're going to continue to medicate. Once you heal that, you don't need the medication anymore. And that was the case with me. Once I found forgiveness for my father. I didn't need the alcohol. I had no desire to drink alcohol. And before that, I was the guy that as soon as that first one hit my lips, it was game on. I'm drinking till I pass out. When I share my testimony, because I, I had a, a, a problem with alcohol that did, did not get to the alcoholic stage, but it could have gotten there very quickly had I not given my life to Christ when I did at age 45. It's not a joking matter, but I used to say, used to joke that I got to the point where I was spelling drink with a U instead of an I, and it sounds like that's the road that you were headed on. Yeah, it was, and I was, you know, it, it's it's interesting in this whole anger thing because I know a lot of men in the 12 years since we started the ministry, I have talked to and, and mentored and coached a lot of different men and they're angry and they don't even know why. And once you start peeling back that layer, those those layers of the onion, it almost every time comes down to some type of father. And I had a, a counselor friend of mine. We went up and did the Eldridge interview. He had, was an early supporter of the ministry, and he was a, he's a guy that sees hundreds of men and women every year, couples, individuals, whatever. And he said, John, he said, man, he says almost every one that comes in my office doesn't matter if it's divorce addiction whatever their issue is he says once we really start to dig deep he says almost every time it comes back as a father wound and so it's it's one of those things it was a much bigger epidemic than i ever imagined mm. until i started making the movie and then i was like whoa this is so much bigger than i thought it was yeah and i, I want to go down that road in a minute, but but I can't go on without talking about two things. First of all, the rock, obviously, that your mother was. Yeah, she, to this day, she just turned 90 years old. <laughs> we just celebrated her 90th birthday a few weeks ago. And she's, there's no doubt about it. That's exactly what she is. She's a rock. I've got a, I've got a soft, spot for, soft spot for single moms uh, because I grew up with one. And I was the youngest of three boys, so... I was with her the longest, you know, before I finally left home. We were together for about six years after both my brothers had left and gone off to school and done their thing. So we, it was just kind of a sweet time between me and her for about six years. So she is, as I mentioned, she's just an angel on this earth. And, and if it wasn't for her, there is no telling where I would be and my brothers would be. And the other thing you can't work on forgiveness of other people until you're forgiven yourself. So let's talk about your journey back to Christ. Yeah. You know, I, uh, 
I really look at the the my moment of surrender, of finally total surrender and salvation was when I was 41 years old and God started me on this journey. I was sitting in my in a counselor's office um, and, you know, I had I'd gone to a pastor friend of mine, the counselor, as soon as all this happened. I was like, OK, I got to figure this father one thing out because I got one and it's destroying my life. It was affecting every aspect of my behavior, my relationship with my wife, my kids, everything. So I went to them and had this conversation, and both of them were so close friends. They were like, look, we can't counsel. You need to find someone else. So I found this guy, Dr. Tom, and he was just such a gem and just loved me and encouraged me but called me out you know, on, on my bluffing and how I was trying to kind of beat around the bush on several things. And it was in one of those sessions. Uh, I tell people it's like – in the in the TV programs or movies, like you know, somebody's talking, you see their lips moving, but you don't really hear them because you're somewhere else. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're. And and I remember in one of those sessions, probably, I think I went to him for about three months. It was probably that eighth or ninth session. It was just God had had just I just heard this uh, again, not audibly, but within my spirit. I heard this. John, how can you be so bitter, resentful, and angry towards a man who didn't know how to be a father? And literally for me, and every man's journey is different, and I have to explain this to guys especially. Every man's journey is different. For me, that that moment is when I found forgiveness for my father, and it was instant for me. I remember walking out of that counseling session and just the sky being blue or the grass being greener. It was like God had lifted the scales from my eyes, and and finally everything had, had come to this realization that how much you know God had forgiven me, and I've got to be have that same capability to forgive others if I expect Him to forgive me, and I need to be forgiven every day, brother, because <laughs> I'm a I still mess up and make mistakes and screw up all the time with my kids and my wife and whatever. So it was really in that instance. Um, of forgiveness that God started me on this radical transformation, um, you know, of forgiveness and healing and hope. And it, it really did. It was, it was so crazy for me, such a crazy experience and one that only God, right. But God, right. It was just one of those situations where only he could do something like that. And he did. John Finch, author of the father effect and uh, has done a movie by the same name, joining us on this week's edition of the Dan Scott show. And, uh, a group of men they've actually done it twice but but since I've since I've been there a group of men at our church we went through the men's fraternity the quest for authentic manhood by Robert Lewis and I don't know how familiar you are with that if at all but oh, yeah. it, it it's a 24 week course and and it takes you to some places that you do not want to go when it comes to dealing with things especially the relationship between a father and a son. Now, I'm fortunate. I, I grew up in a loving Christian home. My dad is still a pastor and a preacher at 75 years old. I, I was the prodigal son until I was 45 years old. But it's still, regardless of your relationship with, with both parents, but especially your dad, it takes you to some places you don't want to go. But it comes back to what I said with you and the success that you're seeing with, with your book and your movie. If you are willing to be vulnerable, God can do some amazing things. You know, brother, it, it is it's simply that. And this is what I just started. The, we do a small group, the Father Effect small group curriculum at our church. And 
and I, we just had our first, uh, first group last Sunday. And I shared with those guys, I was a look guys, if you're willing to do the hard work here, God will do some things that will radically transform you, change your life and change your relationship with your wife and your kids. But you got to be willing to do the hard work. Unfortunately, the reality is most men aren't willing to, and it's a very small percentage. The ones that do, do see a radical life change, but it's, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts and wild card variables in this whole thing. And, and you've seen the movie. I mean, we go there. My thing in sharing the story is I wanted to go there and talk about the real stuff that every single man deals with, right? All of the junk that all of us have, but none of us are willing to admit because we're afraid that if you know the real me, you're not going to like me, right? Right. And so I told these guys, I said, if you'll keep showing up every Sunday when we do group, God will do some really cool stuff in your life. There's the issue of suffering and surrendering, right? It's like we're taught all our lives not to surrender as men. You don't surrender. You conquer. You do all these things. So for us, that idea of surrender is really even tough to get around. And you know, we interviewed Gordon Dalby who wrote Healing a Masculine Soul, and he was kind of one of the first guys. I'd read his book was the first one I read as I started this journey, and I remember looking – I was about halfway in the book, and I remember thinking, man, I wonder when this was written. This was probably last year or so. Well, it was written in like 1992, but yet everything it talked about as far as a father wound and fathering and, and all men and everything we deal with was so true in – you know, this was 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. and so he tells this great story. He says, John, he says, even as young kids, what do we do with young boys, especially four, five, six years old? At a very young age, we're telling them. They fall down the soccer field, football field, baseball field. Jump up, buddy. Man up. You're tough. You're okay. Stop crying. So at a very young age, we're telling young boys, don't be real about your emotions. Mm -hmm. Don't get real. And so then we wonder, well, we have all these grown men that have an issue communicating with their wives and their divorce rates through the roof. We have all these issues. Well, it's because we're telling young boys at a young age, don't be real. And men grow up believing that's still the case, that they can't be real, that they can't be open and honest and transparent about their stuff. And that's what we've got to change. Our organization, Grand Slam Ministries, is a brand new nonprofit, and and we're using this radio show as a way to draw attention to what our core missions are going to become as we grow and move forward. And one of those is mentorship. And on our website and on our Grand Slam Ministries Facebook page, I, I have this pinned, and it says, did you know that according to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2020, the absence of a father or a strong male, positive male role model in the home means a child is four times at greater risk for poverty, seven times more likely to become a pregnant teen, two times more likely to drop out of high school, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to commit a crime, more likely to go to prison. And and the ironic part of this, it's the same government that's doing everything it can to tell us that the traditional family is not important anymore. But that's another story for another interview. But the numbers, John, the statistics are there. Fathers have got to step up. And, and as I have been 
getting more and more opportunities to share my testimony, uh, I, I go to First Timothy, I think it's five eight, where where Paul writes, and I'm paraphrasing, that if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's that's pretty strong and powerful stuff, and and that's what we've got to get back to. We have to address these issues, and and I am so thankful that you've done this movie because it's addressing some of these issues. Well, and I think too part of it is. You know, and I have a compassion for these guys. If you look at all of our social issues, most of our social issues, whether it's addiction, whether it's incarceration, teenage pregnancy, cutting, all of these different things, uh, you know, result from fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. And so it's – I think there's a lot – I run into two different kinds of guys essentially. It's the dad who wants to be a great dad. He just doesn't know how because it wasn't modeled for him, Right. He, it was a generational thing. He's just doing what his dad did. And the other one is it's the guy who thinks he's doing a pretty good job as a dad because he, he's looking at Joe, the next-door neighbor, going, well, that guy spends 10 minutes with his kid today, and I spend 12. You know, So I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job of beating him, <laughs> right? It's a competitive Right, thing. right. But it's like we've got to get to the, the, the point, and I think this younger generation is. I, it is promising. I, I really think as much as people like to dog the millennials and this younger generation, I think the younger generation is coming around because they, they looked at their parents. Man, they've worked too hard. They don't have any work-life balance. All they do is work. I want to enjoy life a little. I want to, I want to lean into my family. I want to lean into my wife, all those different things. So I think – there's some real promising things coming up with the generation, but we've got to get some of the other guys, the older guys like myself and you know our age group in the 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, to really start to understand their true and significant lifelong impact that they have on their kids. And I think that's the thing. Most of them have no idea that how they love their wives, you know, how they intentionally get up and hug and kiss on their wives every day. That's setting the standard by which their daughters are going to measure every other man, husband, and father, and it's setting the standard by which their sons are going to measure themselves as men, husband, and fathers. So it's that daily awareness, walking in it, being aware of it, understanding the importance of servanthood and serving your wife and your kids, right, and loving them well and what that looks like. I mean there's really no excuse for us not to be doing a better job now versus 20 years ago. You've got podcasts, you've got YouTube, you've got all these different resources, books and videos and whatever. And there's really no excuse for us not to be doing a better job. And I think a lot of a lot of a lot of men are. It, it's it's you know there are a lot of men that are all more aware of it now than it was you know ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. So as you were doing the interviews for the movie, were there one or two people you talked to that? that just blew you away, that impacted you, that even now you can't get away from? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I uh, I literally – so when we do the small group, I said I'll show the 60-minute film first session because we want to dig in. Let's go. Let's get real. Let's go there, right? And there's always a couple – of course, Eldridge, John Eldridge was just incredible. You know, he I'd watched and read a bunch of his stuff, but when you're sitting in front of him, he's talking about these different things. He's just so – so right on but dr meg meeker who's another one uh, she wrote a book called strong father strong daughter she shared her story with me one time and she said you know john as we were interviewing her she says john you know i 
didn't even really I wasn't an author. She was a, she's a pediatrician by trade and still is, I think, to this day. But she said, I started seeing this trend of young girls coming in my office that were sexually active younger and younger. It was 16, 15, 14, 13, you know, and she's like, I was trying to figure out what was going on. And she said, on more than one occasion, I'd have a young girl come into my office and I'd give her a physical and everything was fine. But before she'd leave, she would turn around and she'd say, hey, doc, can you write me a prescription? And Dr. Meeker would say, what for? There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. And the young lady would say, I don't care what it's for, but just at the bottom of it, put cannot have sex. And she said, John, what these young ladies were doing is they were having sex at a very young age. It wasn't physically or emotionally pleasurable, but it was the only attention they were getting from any kind of man. They weren't getting that positive fatherly love from their own dads. And this was their permission slip to take to little Jimmy to say, Jimmy, I can't have sex anymore. So as a as a man with three daughters, you know, that's one I'll never get out of my head. <laughs> and I'm always thinking about you know, I went back that day, you know, home and I'm like, I'm I'm digging in with my girls. I'm trying to make sure they know and understand that they are precious in my eyes, that I cherish them, I value them, I love them, I'm proud of them, I believe in them. All of those things that every young girl needs to know. Uh, we also interviewed Neil Jeffrey, who's a pastor on staff at Prestonwood Church, which is one of the big churches here. And he's a, a very passionate, encouraging guy, especially as it comes to men. He speaks to men all the time. And, and, uh, he was the backup quarterback for Dan Fouts many years ago with the Chargers, and he'll kind of claim that he was the reason Dan Fouts was so good <laughs> it's because, you know, he was his backup. Right. But he goes to tell this story, and I'll never forget this. He says, you know, John, there's nothing like a child hear his father pray for him out loud in that manly, fatherly voice. And I remember just sitting there going, wow. Because up to that point, I was the guy that I'd lay down with my girls and I'd say this great prayer and I'd walk out of the door thinking I was Billy Graham, you know, mm -hmm. pat myself on the back. And so that night I told my wife, I said, you know what, prayer time's changing. So what I started doing then was I would ask my girls, hey, what can I pray for you about? And then each one of them would tell me, and it would it did a couple of different things. It let them see that their dad was concerned about their worries and issues, right? Mm -hmm. And that I was taking them to the father on their behalf. And it also led to additional conversations like, okay, what's the deal with this friend? You know, how can I help you? Is there a test? You know, whatever it is they would say that they wanted me to pray for them about, we would have additional conversations about that afterwards. And so that led to an intimacy with my kids that I didn't have before. And, and the sweetest thing of all that in addition, I guess you would say, is to do that with my wife in the room, but also pray for my wife with my kids right there to say, God, thank you that we have such an amazing woman, mom, wife that has a servant's heart that does so much for us, that blesses us in so many ways. To be able to do that for my wife and for my kids in front of them, it doesn't get much sweeter than that. John Finch with us on the program as we uh, get into to wrap up mode here. I don't know that it's been out long enough where you can speak to the legacy of the movie. Maybe 
You can't. I don't know. But when it's all said and done, what do you hope the legacy of, of the father effect ultimately becomes? You know, I, I my my hope and prayer is that God's able to use it to change um, families and, and generations to come, right? For, for men and women um, to understand the importance of forgiveness um, and how it literally can change their lives and, and the lives that will come long after they're gone. We, you know, it's been a couple of years ago now. Uh, I just, God had, had you know, was was really just convicting me about the movie. And I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to release this thing on YouTube for free. And it's time to let God do his thing. And that's been a, a really, really cool thing to watch God do it for, for free. People don't have to buy it. They don't have to do anything. It's not complicated, right? They can just go on YouTube and see the father effect. And so, um, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, and you talk about legacy. For me, this is – it's a part of me selfishly, if you will, admittedly. It's a legacy. I want my great, 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 great grandkids to know that grandpa or great-grandfather was not perfect. He was a flawed, you know, uh, messed up guy, but God has an incredible grace. He's a trustworthy, forgiving, loving father. And that's ultimately what it's about. It's about him and the focus and glory and honor going to him versus me and anybody else. You've mentioned the curriculum a couple of times, and I suspect that someone or multiple people listening to this, whether they're pastors or whether they're just fathers, whatever the case may be, might be interested in finding out more about this curriculum and doing the study in a small group in their church or, or wherever how can they find out more about the Father Effect curriculum? So we do have it. It's in our shop on the website, and it's just the website is thefathereffect.com, and all of our stuff's there. The book's available there, uh, the curriculum. Uh, there's a special edition movie that's a, about a 94-minute movie versus 60 minutes, and it's there. So you can find out all the inf information you need to know about the Father Effect and me on that website. Final question: What's next? I mean, you can't you, you can't you can't rest on your laurels now, right? <laughs> you know what's interesting is it's funny. I just feel I keep feeling God say, "Dude, I'm still not done with you with this project." There's, I mean, we haven't scratched the surface of people that I think and believe need to probably hear the message uh, because the fatherlessness and the unforgiveness is such a big deal. The epidemic of absent fathers and things of that nature. So. Um, on YouTube, we've got it translated in about 100 different languages. Uh, we're continuing to do some things with the book. I want to get it translated in some other languages too. But, um, you know, for now, I'm just kind of kind of praying and waiting and saying, okay, God, what is next? I, I, I've got an idea for a, uh, for a book. I can't talk a, a whole lot about now, but I think he's, he's stirring a few things up in me. And, and we're doing some prison ministry. He's opened the door there to, to prison ministry and – and I tell you what, that's been that's been crazy powerful. Obviously, most of those men and women in prison, uh, I had a prison chaplain tell me one time, he said, John, in your movie, you say nine out of ten people have a father. We've been here. It's 12 out of 10. He goes, every single one of these men and women have a father issue, a father wound, and it's the reason why they're here. So that's that's been really cool to see him work in that in that arena. If you would like to see the movie, The Father Effect, just go to YouTube 
and search. It is there for free. There uh, is a website, The Father Effect, E-F-F-E-C-T, thefathereffect.com, where you can find an extended version of the movie. The one on YouTube is 60 minutes. The one on the website is 94 minutes, I believe. And also material, if you'd like to do a small group study on the father effect, using that material to dive into what it means to be a father and have that kind of impact on your family, you can get all of that at John's website, thefathereffect.com. We're going to step aside for a moment. We'll come back and we'll put a wrap on this week's show. Stay with us. Every day there are children who leave school on Friday and eat little and sometimes nothing until they come back to school on Monday. It happens in every community, including yours. Many of these children live in circumstances that deprive them of basic needs necessary for a quality life. At Grand Slam Ministries, we want to change that. We want to invest in our children, giving them hope for the future. That investment includes necessities such as food, clothing, school supplies, and a safe environment to play, to study, to live. Please visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our ministry and how you can help. We're just getting started. Will you come alongside us for the children's sake? Again, that's grandslamministries.org. Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show. Back with a quick segment to wrap up this 13th episode of the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Over the course of the next few weeks, you are going to be hearing on this program from people like Jason Romano, who left a lucrative job as a top producer at ESPN to more freely share his faith in Christ and for the last handful of years has been uh, deeply involved hosting a podcast and doing other things uh, with Sports Spectrum. Uh, They are all over the Internet and everywhere else, including a magazine. Jason Romano will be with us. Darren Gray, who is kind of the linchpin behind All Pro Dad, is going to be with us as well. And uh, then a guy that I've had the opportunity to to meet and speak at one of his uh, events, Greg Whitfield, is a uh, young man. I can say young man. He's probably my age, but I'll claim being young. But Greg uh, is a former alcoholic who has turned that struggle into a ministry called Giant Slayer Ministries. And he speaks every week at rehab centers and deals hands-on with men who are going through addiction struggles. And we're going to talk about his story in the next few weeks as well. As we head down the home stretch here, just a reminder of a couple of things. Uh, Number one, we are on nine affiliates, and I just want to tip my cap to each and every one of them. I can't tell you how much we appreciate you. The fact that you have given this brand new venture an opportunity and a platform means more to us than you'll ever know, and I do not want you to think that we take it lightly because we don't. Uh, if it not for you, we would not be getting this 
this show out as widely as we are. And we are praying and hoping that we'll be able to add more affiliates across the country. That will come when fundraising increases, and I'm not going to go into a money pitch or anything right now. But you know that in order to to do something like this and get a nonprofit up off the ground, it does take funding. It does take people who are willing to donate. So you can go to grandslamministries.org, read more about our mission there. And if you'd like to donate, certainly there is a button right there at that website for you to be able to do so. Also something I'm praying about and I'm asking you to join me in prayer about, I believe I mentioned last week that my application as as an individual member to the National Religious Broadcasters Association was approved. And I'm really excited about this, joining this organization and finding out everything there is to know about it and hoping that it's going to be a springboard towards growing what we are doing here with the radio show. The National Convention is coming up in May, and I'm praying about whether or not we should go and the rather significant financial uh, commitment it will make to be able to do that. I know if God wants us to go, he's going to open the doors for that to happen uh, because booth space has to be rented. You have to register hotel rooms at the Orlando World Center. It's it's a pretty significant commitment. And maybe this is not the year, uh, being just two weeks into the membership. But just join me in praying about that, that God, if he wants us to go, and and expose what we are doing to thousands and thousands of people, especially broadcasters from across the country. If he wants us to go, that he will open the door for that to happen. And if not, he will very clearly close the door on it as well. Listen, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to being back with you again next week on another edition of the Dan Scott Show. One more time, I just cannot thank all of our affiliates And I can't thank you as listeners enough. Every episode is immediately archived at the danscottshow.org website or just search Dan Scott Show Podcast for all of our previous episodes. Until then, next week, I'm Dan Scott. God bless you so long, everybody. 